Welcome to Gen Z Girlies, the podcast designed specifically for Gen Z women and non-binary folk. This is the place where you can grow your confidence and learn about how to build careers and lives that you'll love. Here you can join a community where we sit down with other Gen Zers who are leveraging their interests and talents to make waves. I'm Maddie Baldwin, your host, your biggest supporter, and your advocate that whatever you can dream, you can do. And this, this is Gen Z Girlies. Hey, Gen Z Girlies. Welcome to the Gen Z Girlies podcast, season two. I am so excited to be back with you all. It's been too long. I know it hasn't been that long, but it's been too long. Um, so welcome back to season two. Thank you for all the episodes you listened to in season one, because really that is what made season two possible. Um, but for our first episode of season two, we have an amazing guest that I am so honored and lucky to get to have on with us. Um, she has just done a lot of amazing work in a lot of different fields, and I'm obviously not going to give all that away right now. Um, I'll let her tell a little bit more about that, but we're so lucky to have her with us. Um, so I'll kind of just let her go ahead and take it away if she wants to, um, if she was like, want to go ahead and tell us your name um, and kind of just like a little bit in your own words what yeah like tell us a little bit like like what you do what that means for you yeah hey maddie um thanks for having me on here hi everyone i'm mira um so i wear a lot of different hats (laughs) um but right now i am doing my masters at trinity in ireland um in race ethnicity and conflict and i know that sounds fancy but it basically means i study um critical race theory and conflict and sort of the intersection between the two in all different parts of the world from northern Ireland all the way to Palestine. Um, So I'm doing my master's, but um, I'm also a reporting fellow um, for an organization called the Pulitzer Center, um, where I had the chance this summer to travel to Lebanon and report on women filmmakers. Um, Lebanon's film industry is led by women, um, which is awesome. And I got to interview some of them for that project. And I'm writing a series of articles about that trip. Um, Before Trinity, I Um, worked at the U.S. Department of Justice in the Civil Rights Division as a paralegal. So I was in um, the criminal section specifically, um, where I helped basically different attorneys prosecute police misconduct, um, hate crimes, and human trafficking in the U.S. So I got to do, you know, all kinds of uh, organizational work on different cases, and then in some cases travel with the attorneys to help um, support federal trials. Um, So that's me. Um, I know, yeah, lots of different hats, but I think that's what keeps it fun, you know, changing up what you do and following your your heart, even if not everything is on the same linear trajectory. Yeah, no, that <laughs> that is a lot of different hats, but so cool that you've, like, managed to, like, so far, like, accomplish all of that and that, like, those are all things that are important to you. Like, I love getting to hear, you know, just about, like, the things that people have, like, pursued that they're also, like, passionate about and, like, looking to make like a career and kind of like life about those which I think is so cool and I think that like for me like one thing that really interests me is I know that you have done like like you mentioned like a lot of like journalism work in Lebanon which I think is so cool yeah especially just because I think like if uh, a few of our audience like listened to some of the episodes last season 
they'll know that I have like an interest in filmmaking and I think getting to hear about we first connected over that yes yeah, exactly that. yeah so I mean I would love to hear just like a little bit more about like I guess like how you got into like journalism and like what that means for you and mm-hmm. like, how that like led you to Lebanon and like reporting on yeah tell us a little bit about that and what that's looked like for you in your life yeah, definitely. So it all for me kind of started in um, college. So I went to the University of Chicago. And one of the first things I did when I got there is I joined the opinion section of our school newspaper. And I hadn't really thought about, you know, journalism as a career per se, but I knew I had strong opinions and I knew I liked writing about them. And I said, you know what, opinion journalism sounds like a really fun outlet for that. Um, So I started writing initially columns about, you know, everything from my experience as a freshman in college to you know, my favorite movies to thoughts on gender in the classroom and just kind of fell in love with it. Um, and from there, I actually became yeah the, the viewpoints editor of that opinion section of our paper and felt like I got to get more of this. You know, I was so hungry to keep doing more. And I found out about this organization um, called the Pulitzer Center. And what they do is they basically give grants to young journalists to go out and pursue like whatever project um, they want. And so I applied. Um, I didn't get it the first time, but I got it the second time, which I think is another important um, lesson in life. But I applied and I pitched this project about reporting on wrongful conviction and the relationship between the innocence movement to free people who are wrongfully convicted in the U.S. uh, with the prison abolition movement, a different movement that's geared towards um, abolishing prisons and the systems of injustice that they represent. So I did a first reporting project um, with the Pulitzer Center on that. And then you know, after graduating college, after working at the DOJ um, and coming to Trinity, I pitched another project um, about women filmmakers in Lebanon. And yeah, I mean, that's sort of the story of how I got interested in Lebanon, I guess, is a little bit of a longer one. But um, I studied Arabic in college, was really interested in the Middle East and fell in love with Lebanese cinema. I watched these movies for fun with my dad in my free time and just loved it. And I think I really wanted to help combat some misconceptions about movies and and women in the Middle East, I noticed that um, lots of people who I was talking to had this impression that uh, Middle Eastern films always portray women as oppressed, or that, you know, women in the Middle East just don't have the same freedoms that women in the West do. And a lot of these were um, very crude stereotypes, obviously not true. Um, And people had only seen films about war when they could think of Middle Eastern films. And I'd realized that lots of the Lebanese films I was watching in my free time were not about war. They were about love stories. They were about everyday moments and um, things really different, I think, from the typical imagination. So I wanted to challenge that. So I decided, you know what, what if I take my personal passion for, you know, Lebanese films uh, and my sort of desire to help um dismantle some of these stereotypes and i go to lebanon and actually interview some of these really badass filmmakers who were changing um the world of lebanese cinema and so that's what i did for the latest reporting project yeah i and i I love that you mentioned also that it took you like two tries to get into that because i think that's such an important like thing as well as just like the fact of like resilience and like being willing to like try again and that like sometimes like things they're still like meant for you, but might not happen like the first time. Like, I think that is such mm-hmm. an important thing to Absolutely. highlight. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's such an important life lesson. There's so many things in my life that I've applied to once, didn't get it, applied again, and I got it. Um, 
another example is I learned Arabic in college um, largely through a program called the Critical Language Scholarship, which is a program funded by the U.S. government um, that sends you to go study Arabic and a host of other languages in other countries. And um, I speak Japanese and Arabic. I initially applied for Japanese my freshman year of college. Didn't get it, but applied again later um, for Arabic and um, was named as an alternate and ended up getting into the program. So I think, um, yeah, that's been a super important lesson for life for me. If you don't get something once, you know, hold your head up high, apply again, but also think strategically about, you know, what can I do better and, and incorporate that into your application. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that like, also like when I'm hearing a little bit about that story, so I guess, yeah, like you can fill me in a little bit as well. So I think that there's like, there's a journalism aspect, which is amazing. Um, and so important. And I love that you went after your passion too. But I think that also like for our audience who is kind of interested in the same things, who um, maybe has a passion that they want to pursue as well. It sounds like your story, a lot of it has also taken place outside of the U.S. or has been about going from the U.S. to Mm -hmm. other places. Um, So like for someone who's like, I mean, and I guess this could apply for anyone, but specifically for someone raised in the U.S. who is like looking to explore like other cultures and kind of get out there, like, Mm -hmm. what steps did you take to feel, like, confident or, like, brave to do that? Or how did that kind of come about with, um, in relation to your journalism as well? Yeah, so I think um, I was really lucky in that when I was in middle school, I had the chance to host some Japanese exchange students. And that was sort of my first taste of, I guess, cross-cultural exchange, if you will. Um, they were around my age. Um, we got to host them for a couple weeks in the Bay Area. And I just realized like, this is so much fun hearing about like the stories of other people my age who are doing the same exact thing as me, but on the other side of the world. Um, and I kept in touch with them. We actually still exchange like Christmas and holiday cards to this day. And I think that's sort of what first sort of gave me this hunger um, for travel. But my advice to other Gen Zers out there who want to get involved in um, more travel and global experiences is arm yourself with a foreign language. I think that is the absolute best thing that you can do. Um, find a language that you want to study. It could be anything about it that interests you. It could be you like the way it sounds. It could be that you're interested in politics in that area of the world. It could be that someone in your family speaks it. Um, you know, my, my own grandparents speak Tamil, for instance, and I want to learn that so I'm able to communicate with them better and go out and study it. Um, and it can be hard to start a language, but start in school, um, find a friend who maybe speaks that language and practice with them. And then with the travel side of it, just put yourself out there. It can be hard, um, especially maybe the first time solo traveling if you're going by yourself, but know that you have everything you need to figure it out inside of you. You are resilient, um, you are brave, and you will figure it out. Even if people tell you, oh, well, you haven't done this before, you'll figure it out and have that confidence in yourself. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I totally agree as well. Like, I think I love that. Like, yes, like you have it inside of you to get it done. And like, you have to like believe in yourself to do that for sure. Um, so- and you won't necessarily have all the skills ahead of time, mm-hmm. but you'll get there. For instance, when I went to Lebanon, mm-hmm. um, the whole process of exchanging money was completely foreign to me. You couldn't go to a bank per se and just um, like withdraw money. You had to go to like a local guy on the street and there's a whole process of doing it given the financial situation in Lebanon right now. I had no idea about how to navigate that, but you figure it out when you get there. I didn't know the word for 
bill like to ask for a bill at the restaurant until I got there and I was like you know what I think I need to pay but um I don't know how to say this so I just asked somebody at the table next to me little things like that I think you just figure out on the fly yeah no that's such a good word yes absolutely and like like you said like having the resilience too to just try and try again like when you don't quite get it the first time like being able to bounce back and be like okay like I still got this I can still do this like let me figure out how to do that yeah I think that's a great point exactly yes So when you're like kind of thinking about um, the work that you're doing and kind of how that has like um, impacted your life and gone on, what is your like, and I guess this is like, this might be like a question that changes quite often, or I guess I'm assuming that it changes Mm -hmm. quite often, but like what would like a typical day look like for you? Like if you're doing your work, um, how do you go about that? Like what, like what are the actual steps kind of look like as for someone Mm -hmm. who like may not have. Um, participate in this before or is like really just trying to get like a better grasp on like what it actually looks like to have um, this kind of career like what does that look like for you yeah I think it's a cliche but there's definitely no such thing as the typical day each day is different but um, I can talk a little bit about that from the reporting standpoint yeah so I think um the process of reporting for me has been different for each type of reporting project that I've undertaken so Um, For instance, for the Pulitzer Center project in Lebanon, I had to kind of come up with my idea ahead of time and pitch it to the Pulitzer Center to get the grant first. But um, for me, I try to focus on doing creative tasks first thing in the morning Um, when my brain is freshest. I think it's easy to get bogged down in logistics, but ideally when I wake up, um, I try to tackle my creative tasks first. So maybe that is pitching my piece. So when I came back, from Lebanon, I had this story, but I had to actually, you know, pitch it to um, different outlets to see who would buy the story. And writing a pitch takes a lot of creative juice and creative energy. So I try to do that, you know, really, really early in the morning. Similarly, with writing, I think that also is something that I do in really long, uninterrupted spurts. Um, I have a kind of weird writing process in that sense. So I like to do that in the morning as well. Um, And then I kind of save more logistical tasks. like, you know, scheduling when I want to, you know, pitch these pieces or um, figuring out when I'm going to travel to Lebanon, booking my flights for like that type of thing for later in the day. So I would say mornings, first half of my day are creative. Second half, I try to focus on more uh, logistical stuff. But, you know, it totally depends. Like when I was working um, um, full time, you know, last year, I didn't have as much time to write, obviously. But now that I'm a student again, I have more time. So I think the the balance ebbs and flows throughout your life. Um, and so you got to listen to your amount of creative energy, but also see how much time you have um, and be realistic. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So like when we're talking about those concrete steps as well, did you, uh, was there like a process you took to kind of like learn like what concrete steps you needed to do? Or was that something like you were saying, like with travel that you kind of figured out on the fly or like how, how did that come about? Like just knowing what to do, I guess. Mm, that's such a good question, Maddie, because I think I didn't really know what to do for an international reporting project mm-hmm. before. So I had, you know, I'd done this project reporting on wrongful conviction in the U.S., but I was interviewing mainly U.S. attorneys. And that was also during the pandemic. So all of my interviews were mainly over Zoom, um, which was completely different. And I was going to Lebanon and, you know, I had to navigate everything in Arabic and figure out um, what is it like to be a journalist going to um the premiere of, say, like a film, Costa Brava, Lebanon in in Beirut. And how do I carry myself as a journalist interviewing celebrities? I'd never done that before. But 
I think the way I figured it out was first um, through community. So I was really lucky in the sense that the Pulitzer Center had a really big network of other journalists who'd actually been to Lebanon before and reported there before. And I asked them tons of questions about everything big and small from, you know, which outlets did you pitch to, um, to, you know, should I write my story before or after pitching the piece? How do I exchange my money in Lebanon? What are your favorite cafes to eat at in Beirut? Um, you know, who do you recommend I talk to if I'm interested in women filmmakers? A lot of my first interviewees came from, well, one friend said, oh, you should talk to this person. She's the sort of unofficial youth mayor of Beirut. And then she knew a bunch of different people. So I went and talked to those people. And then one filmmaker had another filmmaker friend. So it was sort of following all of those connections, I think, um, to find the story. Um, and so I would say my biggest like concrete steps are make sure that you are finding a story and not just a report. I think oftentimes it's hard to differentiate between the two, but a story has human characters and makes people feel something. Um, whereas a report is just a summary of facts. And so whenever you're out there reporting, interviewing people in the, in the field, think about what story am I trying to tell and how do I want to tell it? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's amazing advice too, just for like other Gen Zers or people that are like looking to get into like that kind of field as well. And like, um, and that's what I hear from also like a lot of, uh, the people that I talk to too, is that your network and your community is such a huge resource mm -hmm. and such like, it's your biggest asset, truly. Exactly. Yes. And that like so many opportunities have like come for this, like come from community and everything, which yeah, I think is such a important thing that to like push as like, okay, this is like really like, here's your in, mm -hmm. here's how you get started for sure. So, and I think Maddie, people also have a, an illusion that the other people that they're talking to, like, oh, I don't want to annoy them with all of these questions. They're probably so busy, but they did the same thing too at, you know, the same point in your career that you're at now, everybody asks questions. Everybody relies on those, um, who've taken the path that they want to take to get advice. So don't ever feel ashamed, I think, about asking questions um, of people who are doing what you want to do. I think if anything, they'll be flattered that you're going to them for advice um, and you'll become part of their network too. Um, you know, I had a friend who gave me um, reporting tips um, for my project and I also um, helped, actually, he was moving to the area where I grew up and I helped give him, you know, tips on what my favorite restaurants and things to do were in that area. So oftentimes, you know, people think of networking as very one-sided, but it should absolutely and can be a mutual thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, that, definitely. I love that. And I think kind of going off to just like, since we're talking about community and like network and all of that. And also since the fact that I think we've kind of touched on the fact that you wear like so many different hats and like you're getting all this done, which is so impressive. <laughs> but like, how are you like, how do you balance life with like the career you're kind of like looking at and the mm -hmm. work you do? Like, mm -hmm. Do you, yeah, like, what does that look like for you with balancing that? Like, does it kind of interweave together? Or do you keep them separate? Yeah. What does that look like for you? That is such a good question. And I think, um, so I heard actually Parvati Shallow, who was a former contestant on Survivor, say this. she's a life coach. Survivor, but, such a great show. Um, what a great yes. show. Oh, my gosh. I think I re rediscovered that show a little bit during the pandemic, and I've been watching a little too much of it, but I love it. Um but she basically says that there's no such thing as balance. Balance is something you can play with, but we have this illusion that it exists. But in reality, it's all about just shifting your priorities and seeing what fits. So I think for me, the way I at least try to balance things is I 
I'm just very attentive to my own like energy. I know um, I'm a very extroverted person being around other people fills me up. So I think when I'm feeling like I'm in a, you know, creative rut or can't get any work done, I text a friend and I say, Hey, want to go for a hike? Want to grab dinner? Um, want to see a movie? Um, I think I am very like rejuvenated by the arts. Um, so reading, um, watching movies, like um, reading poetry, all that stuff, I think um, helps me maintain a sense of balance. Um, but I think friends, I think that's the most important thing you can do. Ask a friend to go to an exercise class, ask a friend to go out to dinner, ask a friend to just come over and cook with you. I think that's sort of how I ground myself um, and create balance. But I think yeah, you're never going to have a perfect balance in your life, but I think what's helpful for me is getting out of the, getting out of the um, you know, the scarcity mindset of I don't have enough time. Um, I've heard people say, you know, that I don't have enough time way of thinking is really harmful because there's always time. It's just a matter of what do you want to prioritize? What are you going to make time for? And so, whenever I hear myself like thinking, "Oh, I don't have enough time." I just ask myself, "Well, what do I want to make time for?" If I don't have enough time to write, okay, well, let me cut something else so I can make that time. If I don't have enough time to, I don't know, explore Dublin where I am right now, I want to make that a priority. So I think asking yourself, what are my priorities instead of how much time do I have is a better way to sort of create balance in your life. Oh my goodness. Yes. I totally agree. I mean, that is something that I feel like even like for me has been huge in like my life is I think really when you get to the point of like, what is my priority in life? Like, yeah, like like you said, like stop kind of like looking at time, but be like, okay, here are my priorities. Now, how am I gonna get this to happen? Because I think that like, what? Exactly. Yeah, like a big thing that also like I had to realize like when I was working on goals that I had, and maybe they weren't happening, is that I had to like kind of like sit down and really think like, okay, maybe I'm not making this as big of a priority because I think that when you start giving yourself like giving yourself the responsibility of if I want this to happen, if I want this, like I need to actually make it happen. Mm -hmm. It helps you really delegate what your priorities are a lot better. And then you're able to accomplish like so much more. Um, and like, yes, also like find better friendships and all of that as well, for sure. Um, so like with, like you're saying, like having your priorities and, um, spending time with friends, asking a friend to go to dinner. Um, and then also with your career, do you find like how, how do you find like six, like, what do you feel is success in your life? Um, cause I know that like, that's like, can be like a big mm, thing with career. Yeah. So like, what, like, what do you define as success? Is that something that you find just in career? Do you find in your personal life? Um, how do you deal with that concept and that coming yeah. around? Yeah. I think, so this definition has, I think, changed for me from, you know, high school to college and now I'm post-grad, but you know, a lot of people think about success is money or accolades or, you know, forms of external validation. But I think for me, success is more about having a sense of purpose Mm -hmm. um, and feeling like you're actively working towards that purpose. So, you know, I, I I don't necessarily have a single passion, but things I care deeply about are reforming the U.S. criminal justice system, which I want to do by, you know, after Trinity going and becoming a civil rights lawyer and a public defender and, addressing the ways our criminal legal system is actively racist. Um, I'm passionate about using writing to raise awareness about forms of injustice all over the world, whether that's in, again, wrongful conviction in the US or looking at, um, you know, the prison system in Lebanon. So I think feeling like all of my different projects, even though like we were talking about, I wear different hats and do different things are all sort of aligned towards not necessarily a single purpose, but these purposes brings me um, a lot of joy and personal fulfillment, but also to me feels like 
um, that is what success is, knowing that this is the impact I want to have. And every morning, while I may do different things, I'm working in some way, big or small, towards making that happen, towards achieving that specific impact. I think that is the most fulfilling feeling. Um, so I think, yeah, to me, it's less now about, um, you know, awards or, you know, having a so-called respectable career um, in a particular you know, linear career trajectory and more about feeling like you're fulfilled in accomplishing a particular purpose. Yeah. And I think that's so important to just, I think, especially with like where like Gen Z is coming from right now as well, is that there is like such, there's like a huge pressure, I think, to um, kind of see success as equal to accomplishments and like so early mm-hmm. in life as well. And I think that while there can be some like, Cool things about like accomplishing goals and that can be like a really exciting thing is that we start to like derive like our worth as like a human being as well from like mm-hmm. what we view as success and if we view success as only like what we've accomplished I think that we're making ourselves smaller as well and like like you said like having Absolutely. yes like having a passion for life and going after your passions is that's what's really important and like that's what's going to leave a mark on the world Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and when we equate success I think with like say how we're doing in school or academics or how we're doing in our career I think that also gives fear the chance to take Mm -hmm. control and that is the most harmful thing because then you're not going to chase after opportunities where maybe you don't know exactly what you're doing but you have to get yourself out of your comfort zone um I, I tell people this. Um, one of the best things that ever happened to me is my my first semester of college, I got a C in um, honors chemistry. It was a really difficult course. Um, I didn't really have the required background knowledge, but that was so liberating for me because I felt like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to be perfect in college. I have this fat C and that's okay. My mom actually offered to bake me a cake to celebrate it because I think there is something to celebrate, mm-hmm. right? Um, about I challenged myself. I didn't quite excel, but that's okay. You learn from it and you move on. Um, And I think that, you know, same mentality is true with different things in my life. I was like, you know, before going to Lebanon, people said, are you, are you crazy? You're going to the Middle East all by yourself. You, you've only studied Arabic for a couple of years. You know, do you know what you're doing? But having the inner confidence to say, you know what? I'm a little nervous. Um, you know, I feel the butterflies, but that's actually a good thing because it makes sure that I'm pushing myself and doing something new um, has really helped me a lot. Oh my gosh. I love that your mom offered to bake you a cake. That is like, <laughs> that's so amazing. She's <laughs> that's, She's the best. You'll have to tell her sometime. <laughs> that's the type of yes, she that is, sounds, so. oh, that sounds so sweet. And I think such a good response to like that kind of thing as well is that like sometimes setbacks, like open up a whole new world as well, right? And, like, you realize Mm -hmm, that you can overcome, like, different things that you didn't know that you could before, which, like, speaking of, so, like, with kind of your journey and setbacks, but also, like, what success, accomplishments kind of, like, all look like to you, has there been anything that has really been, like, a significant kind of, like, roadblock in your life or something that you've really had to work through, which maybe that was, like, getting that C in your life, um, but that's kind of, like pushed you forward or that you had to overcome like with figuring out your life like has there anything been like been like that for you Hmm, that's a really good question um I think so coming into college I was very much a planner Mm -hmm. um and I had like specific ideas of what I wanted to do I actually came into college pre-med thinking that you know I either wanted to go to medical school or maybe you know graduate school in chemistry and um, I think I had a feeling I 
have always identified very strongly as a feminist. I led um, the feminism club in high school. And I think I felt like, okay, because I'm a feminist and because I really like science, um, that being a feminist means pursuing a career in STEM. And I've also always been incredibly passionate about writing and arguing and trying to tackle forms of injustice in the world and was having a hard time squaring like, okay, you know, I want to do biology and chemistry, but I also love these questions of political science. And, you know, at some point I'm going to have to sort of pick um, not necessarily a single career, but which direction I want to follow. And um, I think, you know, this is sort of the mental hurdle I had to cross that, um, I, by, you know, I, I was going to do a double major originally in, in biology and political science and decided instead to do a minor in chemistry and major in poli-sci and sort of pursue um, the legal route. That was a really important turning point for me because I realized that being a feminist doesn't necessarily mean doing a particular field. It doesn't necessarily mean doing computer science or engineering or um, a particular science field, but it means doing exactly what you want to do and doing it the best you can and not letting um, you know, the patriarchy or any gendered expectations sort of get in the way of you doing what you wanted to do. And I discovered for me, arguing and writing and all of that is what makes me tick. And I had to listen to that. Um, so I went, you know, into the political science route, absolutely loved it, got to debate questions like what is justice and what is the good life? Um, you know, every single day in the classroom, loved working as a paralegal, realized law school is absolutely the right next step for me um, and realized I needed to go study race, especially in a context outside of the U.S. in order to do that. But I think, yeah, having the courage just to realize, okay, I don't have to stick to this path that I picked out when I was maybe 14 of um, becoming a doctor and instead pivoting um, was a was an important turning point. Yeah. And I think, I yeah, I think that's so important too, is to talk about like the process of like how we've gotten to like where we are and like like the things we've had to wrestle with and like, what am I going to choose? Like, you know, because of this and like, what do I think about that? So I think that's a really important um, thing to discuss as well. So with like bringing that up and then like your career um, and everything that you've done yeah. like so far, would you take the same path again or would you do anything differently or yeah. Mm, I love that question. I, I definitely would take the same path again. And I think, Maybe that's an uncommon answer because I've taken a somewhat, I think, unconventional path. I've bounced around. My friends joked in college, you know, what major does Mira have today? <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think, um, you know, I, I minored in Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations, which was essentially Middle Eastern studies. Um, I studied some Japanese. I studied some chemistry. I did political science. They're all very different, but I think they all taught me important ways to think um, and also different ways of seeing the world. And I think having the like diversity of perspectives from doing all these different disciplines um, was something that's helped me a ton in my career. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm going to use P orbitals as a civil rights lawyer. That would be disingenuous. But I do think that um, every time I tried something, I paid attention to, is this what I want to be doing? Is this what makes me tick? And if not, I pivoted. And I think you have to try things that aren't the right fit to figure out what is the right fit. Um, and I love everything I learned in the process, whether that was, um, you know, Japanese or, or crazy chemistry concepts. I think these different paths I've taken um, helped me discover what it is that I really want to do. Um, and I would do it all over again. And I think believing that you have to box yourself into one thing in college um, is a really toxic way of thinking. So follow your gut follow what feels right to you, even if those are incredibly disparate things. And if people ask, well, how are they related? 
maybe they are related, but they don't have to be. If, if I'm interested in all of these things as your answer, I think that's good enough. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Mira, also for just like sharing like a little bit about like your career and like life path so far and how you've like been led to follow all these passions. Like, I think that is so cool. And you impressed me so much. Um, oh, thank you, man. Yeah, of course. So like, as we're just kind of like coming to a close, closing up, uh, one thing I love to, I started this in season one and I wanted to continue it even in season two. But one thing I love to ask kind of all our guests, just so we like get to know you like a little bit more as well. Like, is there like something like new that you're like kind of been recently interested in or um, something you kind of like want to share with our audience for if they're looking to start a new hobby, start something new um, that they could get involved in as well? Like what would something that you've been doing in your life mm. lately be? Yeah. Okay, I have a silly one and a more serious Perfect. one. Perfect. So first, um, the silly one. So I recently discovered Padma Lakshmi's um, pomegranate toast. So essentially all it is is it's a slice of bread, you toast it, you add a really thick layer of crunchy peanut butter, um, and then you add tons of pomegranate on top. And I thought this was a ridiculous combination, peanut butter and pomegranate, but tried it and it changed my world. So <laughs> I would say make the pomegranate toast if you are looking for a new breakfast item. Um, it's fantastic. That's... And honestly, the process of making, peeling a pomegranate is laborious, but you feel so accomplished when it's That done. sounds amazing. I've actually been kind of obsessed with pomegranates lately. So I, I will be doing that and I will send you a picture of it. <laughs> so... It's great. Um, and then my the other thing is, um, I think because I'm in Dublin, you know, studying at Trinity, I've gotten really into different Irish authors recently and different books. Um, so I'm, um, I'm sure lots of our Gen Zers out there know Sally Rooney, but I absolutely love all of her books. Um, I finished recently her latest book, Beautiful World, Where Are You? But I also love conversations with friends and normal people. And yeah, reading can be, I think, um, an incredible outlet and it's just so much fun and I think I've really leaned into to reading all of her books since coming to Ireland um, and another good one I just read is um, by Patrick Radden Keith and it's Say, Say Nothing is the name of the book and it's about the troubles in Northern Ireland and sort of the political history of um, the Northern Ireland conflict and it's incredibly well written it makes it clear it's not just about sort of you know Catholics versus Protestants but it illuminates the colonial dimensions of of the Northern Ireland conflict. And he just does an incredible historical account through personal narratives. You feel like you're reading in a way, um, a work of fiction because it's about characters. It's about individual people and sisters and um, what their lives were like. Um, and so you learn so much history, um, almost as if you're reading a history book by reading a book that is a page turner and feels like um, so compelling. So I think Say Nothing by uh, Patrick Keefe, all of um, Sally Rooney's books, and Pomegranate Toast are all <laughs> um, recent interests of mine. Oh, well, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing that just with our audience. I know that, um, well, hopefully they'll love the toast, and I know that those books, too, sound amazing. I love Sally Rooney as well, and I will have to um, also try the other one because I'm always looking for new content to read. So that is perfect. Um, for our audience who might want to connect with you, is there any best way to get in contact, any like social handles or like email or anything? Is there anything on that end that you can share? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to read any of my reporting I did for the Pulitzer Center and you're curious about, well, what was that project Mira did in Lebanon about the women filmmakers? Um, go check my reporting out so you can find it at um, 
pulitzercenter.org um, or at um, www.middleeasteye.net. Um, so I published my reporting in both the Middle East Eye and the Pulitzer Center. And um, the piece you're going to find there, the main piece focuses on the story of this one woman named Zaina Dakash. She's a filmmaker in Lebanon. She actually started out as an actress then went to the U.S., trained as a drama therapist, and returned to Lebanon and decided to introduce drama therapy into Lebanese prisons. So she actually went into um, prisons, Rumier Prison specifically, which is an all-male prison in Lebanon, and brought theater to um, the incarcerated people there. And what she did was absolutely incredible. She had them you know, open up, reflect on their lives, laugh, um, share experiences of joy, share tears with each other, and... Um, then went on to do this several other times. And each time she had the inmates put on a play um, and had that, like basically perform those plays in front of an audience of Lebanese um, politicians, um, elected officials, their families, and actually worked to change the penal code in Lebanon through the process. And then she made movies about it. So I basically told her story through my reporting um, on how she used drama therapy to illuminate a lot of the issues that the mentally ill um, in prison in Lebanon face. Um, so if you're interested in that story or want to learn more, MiddleEastEye.net and PulitzerCenter.org are where to go. Just look up my name, Nira Santanam, and you'll find the reporting. And if you want to connect with me personally, um, I'm on LinkedIn. So would love to hear from you. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that, Mira. Hopefully... Some of our audience will definitely be looking at those articles, which I also reread this morning. And again, they are amazing. Gen Z audience, Gen Z girlies audience, you definitely should go read them. They are truly works of art as well as amazing works of reporting. So yes. Oh, thank you, Matt. I had a lot of fun doing them, I will say. You know, one unexpected moment was, you know, I knew I was gonna be reporting on Zaina and learning about her her drama therapy work within the prisons in Lebanon, but I didn't expect that I would get drama therapized myself <laughs> in the process. And uh, one fun part of that reporting was I actually got to, um, she invited me to a drama therapy session and I thought I would sit in the back and, you know, take notes in my reporter's notebook. But instead she said, oh, Mira, what are you doing? Join the circle, like <laughs> pull up a chair. You're going to be involved in this too. So I got to take part in the drama therapy session and, you know, clumsily in Arabic, uh, figure my way out, but it was a lot of fun. That sounds yeah. like. I'd love to hear from all of you, Gen Z girlies, so please come Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Mira, so much for just taking the time to kind of share like a little bit about like what you've done and just like give some advice to the Gen Z girlies audience. Um, it really is just such an honor and um, to just have had you and so exciting too and so fun just to get to hear your story because it truly is just like, like, I feel like someone could write a book. Like, you could write, you could definitely write a book about your life, like, already. Like, <laughs> oh, thank you, yes. Maddie. Honestly, it's on the list. It's on well, the good. List. I will be your first customer. So, as soon as it's written, let me know. <laughs> I will buy as many copies as I can. But thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Um, we really had a great time with you. Um, and thank you so much. Of course, Maddie. yeah. And for the Gen Z Girlies audience, um, as always, if you want to connect with us, we are on. TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. We would love to hear from you um, or just to interact with you on those socials. And as always, if you're interested in getting like further connected or you have a story um, and some experiences that you want to share as well, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, our Gmail's in our 
Instagram bio, but it's also Podcast at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you. Um, but for the uh, time being, this is Maddie and Mira signing off on the first episode of season two of the Gen Z Girlies podcast.